The more they do, the worse you know it is. And the Chinese are doing an enormous amount. Another top official has been purged, though in his case, he's probably lucky he didn't just disappear like several others recently. Authorities are increasingly desperate to rescue a crashing stock market, a tanking economy, and a banking system that is incredibly fragile. And it's not working, thus the purges. All it really shows is that authorities in Beijing and Xi Jinping himself are really worried about the situation getting out of their control, turning into some maybe disorderly unwind in the property market, the real economy, the banking system that leads to greater consequences. Maybe those consequences spill over beyond China's borders. But I want to put some numbers behind the rescue that China has put up so far. So we're going to go into the PBOC's balance sheet so you can get a sense of it. And they're enormous over the last several months of last year, which only highlights how little impact they must be having. And therefore, gives us a real sense of what it is that China's government must be seeing, therefore, all of the purges. They're doing a lot, but it's producing very little. The problems in China are enormous. Late last night, Bloomberg reported that staffers at China's main securities regulator had been working around the clock for weeks on ways to prop up the nation's tumbling stock market when the bombshell dropped. Late Wednesday, that was last night, the official Xinhua news agency reported that their boss, Yi Huimen, had been ousted, becoming the biggest Communist Party casualty of a $5 trillion sell-off that's undermining confidence in the fragile economy. That might be the biggest part of the stock market crash. It's not just undermining confidence in the economy. It is portraying and projecting that confidence outward. Everything that the government does, not only does it bear little fruit, it shows that the, in the stock market case that investors are just not buying it. Of course, why would they buy it? Because it never seems to work. So the more stocks go down, the more we know that the rest of China, the investor community, they're not buying it either. And they're the ones who would love to buy it, which is why we see stock markets behave volatilely. And we'll get to that in just a minute. A couple days before this latest purge, the same regulatory agency released a statement that said in part, it was going to guide institutional investors to enter the market with greater efforts. In other words, they're going to try to cajole people, if not force people in the institutional investor community to buy stocks to prop up the market because nothing that they're doing outside of this is having that effect. It continues to get worse and worse and worse, and the situation gets ratcheted down further and further. The pressure gets ratcheted up higher and higher. Now, China is heading into its golden week, which means not only will it, will it be closed down for the week, it also means that China as a whole is going into the dark. What I mean by that is macroeconomic uh, statistics. We're not going to get much of that for the next month because due to the calendar constraints of the golden week and how it falls sometimes in January, sometimes in February, the Chinese government reports a lot of their major statistics as a combined January and February period. So we're not going to get industrial production, retail sales, fixed asset investment for the month of January. We have to wait till March to get January and February combined. That said, we do have some updates for January, consumer and producer prices, which only go to show exactly what we're talking about here. But the main thrust of this video today, as I said, is to give you a sense of what the Chinese have done and how big that rescue has been already, focused as it has been on finance, the banking system. What has the PBOC been doing since the middle of last year, really going back to 
the lockdown period way back in August of 2022, in September of 2022. Before getting into those numbers, I'm going to back up a little bit, give you some context. Up until around 2013, the People's Bank of China's balance sheet expanded based on the amount of foreign assets that were coming into China and the amount that the Chinese government were taking up in order to maintain their limited float on the currency. So a lot of foreign dollars through the euro dollar system ended up in China. The government pulls them out of the system and a lot of those end up parked on the PBOC's balance sheet. So as all of this foreign currency ends up in the PBOC's hands, it never really needed to do anything to expand its balance sheet, therefore expand either the level of currency outstanding or the level of bank reserves. That was all done externally. And the Chinese just rode that wave of euro dollarization to its own internal benefits. But as I said, they all started to change in the post-crisis era. There was a little bit of a blip in 2008, then a bigger one in euro dollar number two, 2011 and 2012. But 2013 and really 2014 in euro dollar number three, which was heavily focused on China and emerging markets, that's when it really started to change. And just there's no coincidence here either. Just to show you the correlation, as these foreign dollars were, were heading into China and they were showing up on the PBOC's balance sheet, China's currency, CNY, was rising. Dollars go in, the currency goes up. Their currency goes up. Dollars come out or fewer dollars go in, currency goes down. So for the PBOC, that changed their entire mechanical focus. They could no longer depend upon external currency coming in to increase and boost its balance sheet. So every time the Chinese government has encountered weakness in its own economy because of this reversal, this massive post-crisis reversal, deglobalization, the silent depression, Emile's term there, Every time that's happened, without that external increase in currency, the PBOC has to turn to what Western central banks do, their own internal programs. Stuff that we would recognize as or almost QE-like, bank reserves, that type of thing. So right around the time that CNY switched and started to fall, that's when you see more and more RMB exclusive internal efforts on the part of the PBOC. And it really ramped up 2015 and 2016. It came back again in 2020, but over the last couple of years, you can see how, how desperate Beijing is to try to stabilize the financial situation at the very least, hoping that then leads to a more stable economy too. But focusing on a couple items on the PBOC's balance sheet, which is enough to really illustrate what, what's happening there. The biggest one is what they call claims on other depository corporations, which are nothing more than short-term loans to banks in China, internal banks in China. The biggest one of that is the MLF or medium term lending facility. But it's basically what you see here for the claims on other depository corporations, there was a big increase September 2022 to January 2023. So before reopening, during the late lockdown periods when it was really getting bad in China, the PBOC was told, you better start stepping up your efforts. We need some help to make sure the situation doesn't get out of control. So big liquidity effort, quote unquote liquidity effort, getting banks to borrow reserves from the People's Bank of China. And of course, as the Chinese government announced, first of all, its 31-point plan, and then more and more stimulus efforts last summer, we see that here in the Chinese central banks 
claims on other depository corporations. That's, again, liquidity provisions to Chinese banks in the system. Huge, huge increased August 2023 to December 2023. And December is the latest statistics we have. It'll be another week or so before the PBOC puts out its January numbers. We also have to keep in mind that usually every December, the PBOC does more of, this, more of these liquidity programs in anticipation of the Golden Week holiday. There's usually huge demand for liquidity in January and February. But even so, the amount that the, the amount of increase in the, in this particular line the provision of liquidity in the Chinese banking system from PBOC, it was up 30% in December 2023 when compared to December 2022 at 18.6 trillion RMB. And it was up 30% in November too. So a massive increase in so-called liquidity provisions from the PBOC at a time when the banking system is increasingly doing the opposite. Again, it doesn't seem to be working. As a net, another net result of all of this, bank reserves in the Chinese system, the whole, the entire Chinese RMB system have increased uh, noticeably too. The PBOC has finally allowed the level of bank reserves to rise really for the first time since 2017. And it's been doing that since around August of 2022. As the Chinese provision more liquidity to the banking system through the MLF and other short-term liquidity programs, the systemic level of bank reserves ends up rising, or what around here would be called something like QE. It's not exactly a QE because they're not buying assets, but they're expanding their balance sheet to raise the level of bank reserves that are being held purposefully by the banking system. And the idea is, sort of QE-like, that if we give the Chinese liquidity, these Chinese banks, they'll do something with it. They'll say, I don't need to be worried about the economic or financial prospects or liquidity prospects and risks in the system. I've got all of these reserves at my, my, my fingertips. I've got an active central bank that will give me an outlet for liquidity if I should need some. Therefore, I should be expanding my balance sheet activity. I should be lending in the real economy. I should be buying these government bonds that the government is selling to help stimulate the economy. I should be doing all of these things because the PBOC is giving out the bank reserves and the accommodation for it to happen. Except it's not happening. That's what we keep coming back to over and over again. Despite the huge increase in the PBOC's effort, stepped up efforts to provide provision liquidity to the banking system, as we've been talking about on this channel ever since last year, Chinese banks aren't doing anything. In fact, they're pulling back from the Chinese economy. They don't want to lend. Leaving, that, leaving the government is basically the only avenue to extend any sort of aid into the real economy or the financial system. The more the PBOC is doing, the less of an impact it seems to be having in the banking system itself. And that really sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds just like the problems that we have in the Western systems. So maybe it is just like QE. It has no impact. But the point I'm trying, I'm trying to make here is that the PBOC's balance sheet, like the Fed's balance sheet during a QE period, shows just how much effort the, the central bank is putting into trying to stabilize the situation and how little effect that it is producing. The PBOC has become a true Western peer, or a true peer with its Western counterparts. Just this week, the unusual RRR cut that was announced in late January, unusually announced in late January, that became effective. And once again, we don't see much immediate impact because the Chinese stock market, let's start there, 
That was down substantially in January. The Shanghai Exchange got down to around 27.50. And then the RRR announcement came out and people thought, okay, maybe the Chinese government is serious this time. The index got back up to 2,900, then promptly turned right back around and tanked again to a new low. It was down to 2,700 on February 5th. The RRR cut becomes effective. They get more purging and more government efforts. And now the Shanghai Index is back to around 28.65 today. But... That's an incredibly low level, and there are still any number of questions surrounding everything. The government has done a ton, and it produces next to nothing. As far as next to nothing, China reported its PMIs for the month of January, which were modestly higher than where they had been at the end of last year, modestly higher than some of the worst numbers in the entire series, only goes to show how little impact in the real economy all of this stuff is happening. So China does massive efforts through its central bank. It has no effect on the banking system. Therefore, what effect is it going to have on the economy? It's not going to have any, and so that's what we see. Just last night, the Chinese government reported on consumer and producer prices, and no surprise, there's really nothing of China's rescues or stimulus in these numbers either. The monthly number for China's consumer price index was a little bit better, it's three-tenths of a percent. Uh, it's positive, at least for the second straight month, but again, food prices are leading that, that increase, whereas non-food prices were only up about two-tenths of a percent. Maybe more importantly, the year-over-year -year change in the consumer price index was minus 0.8%, which is one of the worst ones we've seen in Chinese history. And it's also the fourth straight year-over-year -year negative in the CPI, which hasn't happened in, since 2009. It's not just the fourth straight. Five of the last seven have been negative, and one of the other two was actually zero. So it's a consistent bout of deflation and disinflation combining based on whichever month it uh, happens to be. So a little bit of disinflation in January, therefore negative consumer price changes over the last year, which just reinforces the notion that China's economy is absolutely struggling, and it's struggling the most retail sales and consumer spending. So at the very end of this stimulus chain that isn't working, it's supposed to help out consumers become more confident, therefore they start spending when they can see everything just like stock market investors can. Chinese producer prices still falling, still deflationary, still lack of demand and overcapacity. This is where we really see the external problems show up in China's statistics. Global trade recession continues to bite the Chinese economy. The Chinese were really expecting that last year, the U.S. strength and a rebound in Europe would contribute a lot to helping China stabilize and recover from its, uh, from its lockdowns the year before. But instead, producer prices, they show just how weak the situation has been and continues to be. Month over month, another 0.2% decline. Uh, Factory gate prices, the same thing. Year over year, the Chinese PPI was down 2.5%. It was down 2.7% in December. Factory gate prices, 3.4% negative. So continued deflation in China's producer prices and factory gate prices. That means prices going into the factories as well as prices coming out. Weakness all around. So the continued purging of top-level officials shows Xi Jinping's dissatisfaction, as well as combined with all of these massive efforts from the government, especially the People's Bank of China, 
they really are increasingly nervous about the situation there. You've got everything to worry about, the economy, you've got the external problem, the trade recession that won't go away. In fact, it looks much worse when you look around the rest of the world, as well as the property bubble. There's a reason why China's banks don't want to lend because they don't know how this is going to work out either. And increasingly, Chinese banks are worried that it won't work out all that well. So all of these problems together, the more the Chinese feel that they have to do, the worse you know it is from their own internal perspective. And the Chinese, as I said, they are doing a whole lot and have been doing a whole lot over the last six months, six, seven months, but also really going back to 2022, which only highlights and emphasizes how little success they've had. And because they've had little success, that tells you just how serious the situation has become. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, it certainly raises the chances of China experiencing the hard landing scenario. The biggest issue really is continued declines and deterioration in all of these channels that then leads to continued negative effects all over the rest of the world. China really finds itself between a rock and a hard place. The rock of the euro dollar system and the global trade recession that continues to add negative pressure to China's economy and the hard place of a housing bubble that Xi Jinping does not want to let turn out to be Japan 1989. So what do you do as you're, if you're China? You do your best to try to keep the situation calm and stable, realizing that these forces might be out of your hands. And that's what we keep seeing here. The more the Chinese do, the worse you know it is, but also the more it proves that it's beyond their control. The real risk is that it spills over beyond just maybe China's economy or China's property sector, maybe China's banks, and becomes more, more of a global problem than it already has been. I went into a lot more detail on the last purges, the last round of purges in China, in the video you see linked below. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University members, Eurodollar University subscribers, some of whom you see next to me. And until next time, take care.